what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, we have a great show, a great show lined up. I love it when I know exactly what we're going to talk about probably four days in advance. And mm-hmm. buddy, that was the case uh, late last week. And um, we're going to get to all things Ohio State, it being the center of all this chaos that can happen in 2024. That's going to be the main topic of conversation. But you know, we had Feinbaum lined up. He's going to join us in a bit for some saving perspective, thoughts on Harbaugh, Kiffin, a lot of different things. We've got our jersey contest. You are wearing a fire, fire Dikembe Matembo jersey that we will dig into because I have some serious thoughts on that. And then we got Lad of the Week. But Will, the Buckeyes decided, hey, we were the team that was super boring and maybe going in the opposite direction after the Cotton Bowl lost to Mizzou. And you know what? Let's just become super interesting and something mm-hmm. that everybody is going to want to talk about. We are talking all things Ohio State today. So I don't want that to scare off many SEC people because it has SEC impacts. But what's your take on what's been going down in Columbus the last few days, really the last few weeks? Well, first off, you know, as some of the one-star reviewers would point out, you're secretly a Yankee uh, sleeper agent. So this is a great time for you to finally get all those agendas out. You know, you've been waiting. They called us carpetbaggers of one of the reviews. So you've been waiting years to finally push your Yankee agenda. We're finally talking about Ohio State. So, <laughs> so can there I, you go. Can I confess something to you? Sure. I haven't read a review in two years. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, I really don't, don't, don't do it either. Now, I trust me. I The reviews are important. I think yeah. the rating is important. This is a little inside baseball here. I, I, you know, we'll make sure I'll monitor that, that overall rating that we get on iTunes. I think that's significant, but I have not read a, a single, I, I should, I, I should say I haven't read a one star review. I've read the five star reviews. I want only constructive compliments. That's it. Yep. But the one star reviews are never going to be um, worth my time. Um, and if you're listening to this, hopefully you're not giving us a one star review uh, because I won't read it and I won't give you the attention that you think you're getting. There you go. Yeah, Connor's, Connor's immune. Yeah, I, I have always respected that about you, that you kind of have that Dion, like, you ain't make me so you can't break me thing. Like, you do not let the noise get to you. So, yeah, but back to the issue at hand, Ohio State. I'm I'm right there with you. It felt like, you know, as Bama started, uh, you know, losing players to the portal, as the coaching staff kind of started to form, there were two teams that definitely were on the come up uh, with that news that benefited the most. Georgia was obviously early. You know, they got a, a, a ton of the even talk about T Rob, the the DB's coach is another um former the former former Bama uh DB's coach that is now their co defensive coordinator. That's a lot of words. But they got a coach, they got some players, you know, it started looking like Ohio it looked like um uh Georgia was gonna benefit. And then Ohio State kinda comes in at the last minute. You know, they're they're getting downs, they're getting all these guys, and they've already had, as we've discussed, several other players out of the portal. So now we're kind of starting to look at this Ohio State picture and and say, like, what is this going to be? Because then they also made the very interesting move, like you said, of just hiring Bill O'Brien, who it's like, who's the you guys could have literally hired any single coach. Like you guys could have hired Connor O'Gara and he could have just run the plays that my that Ryan Day said in his ear and it would have probably worked out. But they hired the one guy who made Bryce Young and those receivers look like they were not NFL players. <laughs> you know, there's something Bill O'Brien and I have in common. Um, hmm. Both uh, O apostrophe last names. There you go. Irish lads. Um, great appreciation for the post-Sandusky sanctioned Penn State that he took over and righted mm-hmm. the ship for a couple of those years. That's about it. Yeah. That's, that, that's probably uh, about it. That's just one of the layers of this whole thing because – a few weeks ago, when Ohio State season ended, 
there was this feeling of unease from those who were rooting for Ohio State, those who covered the program, those of us who were putting them in our preseason top 10 rankings. Like everywhere you look, there was this feeling of uncertainty, unease. And to say that things have changed a lot since then would be an understatement. It's been just headline news almost every day. It feels like my brother was texting me over the weekend. He's like, Every time I look up and I open up a social media app, there's some big Ohio State thing that that mm-hmm. has happened. And it is it does feel like it has just been like, whoa, this is significant one thing after another. Last week alone, the following things happened. They poached Ross Bjork from A&M mm-hmm. to, to be their new AD, which poached is maybe not the right verb, but it's still considered a poaching, if you will. They hired the aforementioned Bill O'Brien to be their new OC slash play caller for Ryan Day because people were convinced that Ryan Day is no longer good at calling plays. And they added the top player in the portal, Caleb Downs, kept him away from Georgia, something that we talked about last recording that seemed like it was inevitable. And instead, Ohio yeah. State ends up making that late push and getting a player that is highly coveted that will start off as a preseason All-American this year. And just in case that wasn't enough, all of those things – They added Julian Sain from Bama, the five-star quarterback signee from this 2024 class. Again, that's just the end of last week. That is not including the other extremely notable portal additions. Quinchon Judkins, Will Howard, Seth McLaughlin, others. Will, Seth McLaughlin entering the portal and going to Ohio State, is that the worst news that the Buckeyes have had? Yeah, it's kind of funny because they added, like we talked about Bill O'Brien, but also it's like, huh, can a center lose you a football game? We'll find out now. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, like other than that, I look at all those other things. I'm like, okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of like what you would, what you would hope to have, but that, that's not even including the very long list of draft eligible standouts that decided to stick around for another year. Like they have nine of 11 returning starters on the defensive side of the ball from defense that was top two in scoring, I think top three in total yards. I mean, they should have the number one defense in America if it's not Georgia, right? Like it's going to be those two are going to be considered heads and shoulders above every other defense in college football. Will, did you do, um, what's the right way to phrase this? Were you into the poker craze of the mid 2000s after Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker and it became this, I don't want to say a fad because I think it's gambling. I don't think it's fair to call gambling a fad. Yeah. But it was a craze that swept American culture. Did you get into that or were you a little bit too young for it? Um, I've, you know, I played poker during that period. I can't say it was because of that. But yeah, I, I was playing poker in that period. Okay, yeah, I, I got really into it. Very, mm-hmm. very into it. I still like to be able to to play um, with with my uh, a couple of buddies who live you know like 25, 30 minutes away and realize I actually have not played since Claire's been born. But the guy's house I used to play at, he also um, had his first kid like a month after I did. So that's um, because of that. That's a different uh, a different story. I need to be able to get get back to playing some poker. But I would compare Ohio State to the guy that is playing poker on tilt. Right? Yeah. They're sitting there chip leader feeling really good and then just like that a bad read here coin flip hand that maybe didn't go their way there bad beat on the river Uh, ohio state is now on tilt they are acting out of aggression out of frustration they are making emotional moves and that's not to say that they are wrong moves but they are acting from a pay a place of pain 
And yeah, there's logic that goes into it, but they are being about it as aggressive as one can be. They are not worried about what life looks like beyond 2024. As many have pointed out, Ohio State is all in. Because when you lose three in a row to Michigan, you rile up a lot of boosters. They want to do anything but lose three in a row to Michigan. That is the worst eight months they can possibly have. And they're not used to that. Buddy, let me tell you. They have not done that in the 21st century, obviously, uh, since a certain John Cooper was there. It's been a minute since they have been this bad against Michigan. And so instead of Ohio State looking like a powerhouse going through an identity crisis, like many kind of speculated would be the case after the way that things played out against Mizzou, Ohio State in this era of transfer portal, NIL with those deep pockets, they have become the ultimate agent of chaos this year. Mm -hmm. Chaos is coming Ohio State's way and it's ricocheting all over the place. It will. The impact of Ohio State's 2024 season could be felt by college football programs from coast to coast, including many of the fan bases that are listening to this right now in the SEC. Let's start with the obvious, okay? Ohio State is trying to buy its way out of this place, this place of pain. They are saying, I don't care that I just got deuce eight offsuit. I'm playing this hand and I'm going to raise pre-flop. That's a little poker lingo for those that weren't picking up on that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of discussion right now about market correction with NIL and the transfer portal in this hope that eventually the market will reset. There won't be these seven-figure deals going around. People will be like, why do we spend all that money for a guy who was there for one year and he played eight games and he got hurt, whatever. Ryan Day told Cleveland.com a year and a half ago that he believed it would take about $13 million to keep Ohio State's roster intact. And mm -hmm. Mike Washman reported before the Caleb Downs news that $13 million was the number that Ohio State was at for the 2024 roster, and it would climb if they got downs. He then said afterwards, he kind of like walked it back. He said he was told that number was made up. But whatever, we know it's a high number. There's no way Ohio State is doing this without paying significant money because that is the world that we live in. And that's not complaining. That's just yep. reality. Yeah, it's that's, a, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a depth or die. Honestly, it's like, hey, we tried it the old way. Let's get after it. Let's do it the new way. They're not just saying, hey, we have this 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 five-star here, this guy that signed last year. He's never started a game before. We're going to hope that he pops. No, 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 no. We have areas of need on our roster, and we're going to go out and get them right just now. It is his win now as it gets. Mm -hmm. It truly is. And others will be fascinated to see if it works because it's a copycat world. If this is a bought national championship, that market correction is going in the other way. And there will be some big time powers that will pony up even more for portal additions, whether that's LSU, who's been criticized for maybe not spending as much. Bama, who hasn't had to spend quite as much. Georgia hasn't had to spend quite as much. Texas, Oklahoma, you name it. There are plenty of SEC eyes on Ohio State. And I'm not talking about head coaches, right? Those, those head coaches are like, hey, I love the team I have. I think we can win a national championship. I hope they think that. That's what right. they should think. I'm talking about some the of ones. them are lying, but I mean, maybe they do believe it. I don't know. It's always hard to figure that out. But yeah, it's you. You don't want that. That's why people viewed the Stoops comments about Kirby the way that they did because it was so rare for a coach to be like, "We don't got the horses for this one." I think even Lane, Lane, Lane knew yep. last year after you get beat like that against Georgia, this is not a national championship team. Mm -hmm. It's okay to admit that. If Lincoln Riley thought he could win a national championship at Oklahoma. 
You know what he would have done? He would have stayed at Oklahoma. If Brian Kelly thought he could win a national championship in Notre Dame, you know what he would have done? He would have stayed in Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Instead, this is the world that we live in. You get to a place where you feel like you can actually do that. Jed Fish kind of ruffled some feathers when he took that Washington job and he said, I came and every move that I've made has been in pursuit of winning a national championship. And Arizona sitting here with Noah Fafita, God's greatest quarterback, is like, hey, what are we? Chop suey? We can't win a national championship. But that's that's the name of the game. Okay. It, it just is. And I don't mean to make it seem like it's all or nothing. But a place like Ohio State, it is very much all or nothing. And there are plenty that think just like they do. Mm-hmm. We are three years into this NIL transfer portal world. And I would argue that Georgia and Michigan, they have taken care of guys one way or another. Okay, I'm not sitting here saying, well, they did it the right way. They built it from the ground up, old-fashioned. Ohio State, if it were to win a national championship this way, or if anybody else were to win a national championship this way, would be the first of its kind to do it both at the high school level and at the portal level. A top three high school class, and then you're getting all Americans from the portal. Mm-hmm. That ain't cheap, okay? It is not cheap. That is as all in as it possibly gets. And if it doesn't lead to that, if it doesn't lead to that, Ohio State, it's about to be mocked mercilessly, nonstop. And not just because Bill O'Brien was hired, although that's definitely part of it. And there are going to be some tweets that have been bookmarked. Um, You could probably find them out there. People that are saying, well, this is a great hire. I loved seeing that news break and then watching the clear, very clear divide between those who watched him. More so 2022 at Bama. I'd argue 2021, he was better than he was in 2022. But by the end of it, there's a reason why he was no longer the OC for Nick Saban. Right. There was a clear divide between those who watched him there and those who didn't. And the former laughed and the latter wondered why those people laughed. That was pretty much it. That was the discourse on the app formerly known as Twitter uh, when that move came down. Look, if O'Brien doesn't work out, it's fair to wonder if Ryan Day will work out, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there that that's a good note because I, even losing to Michigan, I think this year almost I, just the playoff is so hard because I guess if you go eleven and one, still make your conference championship game because I guess they're going divisionless as well, right? It's hard to keep up with that stuff. Yeah, they are going divisionless, so they could theoretically lose to Michigan and then play them the very next week and then play them again. Yeah, and then even then, if somehow they got jumped, they might even have a shot in the playoff if they're like eleven and one. So basically, I'm not going to say losing to Michigan is going to lose the season for him, but pretty much it would be a lot easier. To, win, to to keep your job if you beat Michigan. There's a there's some, you know, room for interpretation because if they had beat Georgia in that semifinal game, of mm-hmm. course, in the Peach Bowl after losing to Michigan and going on to win a national championship, you know what nobody gives a crap about is losing to Michigan. I'm sorry. And Ohio State fans, Michigan fans, you could tell me, well, this is your Super Bowl. You know what would last a lot longer than one game against Michigan in the regular season is a national championship. Okay, like that's... Not something that people want to hear, and it matters in the moment. I'm not saying that, but in the grand scheme of things, five years from now, ten years from now, you know what? And nobody's ever going to say is, "Hey, at least we beat you that season. You couldn't even beat us." Eh, rings are contrary to what the NCAA would like to tell you. Very tough to take away, and they would yeah. last a lifetime. And that's essentially what Ohio State is banking on right now: is that they have a roster that can get a foot in the door and give them that higher floor, no matter what, and they can avoid that disaster season. But if that disaster season unfolds, and disaster can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, the chaos scenario is a massive 
domino effect similar to the one that we just saw in Tuscaloosa and maybe even more significant. And here's why. Very rarely do I come on these airwaves, do I go on anybody else's airwaves and say that it is title or bust for a head coach. That is such a black and white approach to something, especially in college sports in general, where you can be both satisfied. Well, I should say you should you can be both unsatisfied with results and also unwilling to start over with someone new. Yep. It's kind of tough to separate those two things. But Ryan Day feels like he is entering a title or bust type season. Or if he doesn't win a title and he loses in a national championship game or something like that, it's perhaps the beginning of the end, a window closing for him, and his days are numbered. Maybe his days are numbered, you know, and it's only one more year. Something like that. That place you were just describing where you aren't winning a championship, but you're not Kurt Ritter. That's the Mark Richt quadrant. (laughs) That is the we are three to seven every year but that's about it we don't want to fire this guy it turned out working out great for them because they got kirby smart you know what i'm saying but if they had started with scott frost or something you know it would have been completely different so yeah i think it, that's that's a great point about day where it's like yeah i mean this guy the thing that he's been able to do is not really let me try to be specific about this make ohio state a, a fun watch on a saturday make them to where they're not really embarrassing you on a yearly basis but they will have one or two of those games where they do so yeah i think that this is a very very interesting make or break season for him because we'll see if these donors you know they're pumping all this money into this to get mark rick results they're probably going to be upset you're right about that there are very few scenarios in which they're truly happy mm-hmm. uh, if, if you beat michigan great We'll wait and see what Michigan is. If Michigan ends up being a team with a ton of turnover, they've kind of fallen off. It's a rebuilding year. If you beat Michigan, but then lose in the first round of the playoff or something like that, I don't think that all of a sudden makes donors happy who spend this type of money to win a national championship. Because as you mentioned, Ohio State has been in a spot like that before. And it's not all of a sudden making it so that you are the long-term guy. And the expectation at Ohio State is that you will win national championships doesn't matter that it's a program that as of right now has not won a national championship in a decade 2014 Mm -hmm. was obviously the last title and after winning it all 2014 they've won just one more playoff game it was in the pandemic season when they had to get the big 10 to push them into the big 10 championship and leave out indiana because they had a better chance to win a national championship and i get it but it's still it's just like hey we're gonna pull strings for ohio state because that's what you would do that was what the sec would have done in that spot too did they get screwed in 2019 against clemson yes could they have won that game against Georgia in 2022 and then probably gone on to beat TCU? Yeah, probably. Everybody always says that Alabama fans have the highest standard in in the sport. I don't know, man. Ohio State fans might be even higher. They really might be. They they could be. Ryan Day is 56 and 8 as a head coach. If you include the three games that he coached while Urban Meyer was was suspended. And I'm convinced his approval rating yeah. Whatever's left of it, I'm convinced that it will be non-existent if his team this year does not win a championship. Because let's remember, there's so much more that goes into this than simply, did you win X game or did you lose X game? He's got a new boss, Ross Bjork. Like, the guy whose last major move, besides leaving Texas a for Ohio State, his last major move in College Station was agreeing to pay a coach $77 million not to work. Yep. That guy will fire anybody. Yep. <laughs> he yep. will. <laughs> he Good doing on him because he's not the guy that hired Jimbo 
but he's the guy that somehow made it more lavish. He's the guy that was there for the ridiculous 2022 recruiting class we always talk about where they were handing up money to everybody. He is not the guy that hired Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, but he's the guy that was there when Hugh Freeze was kind of giving out some of that money too. You know what I'm saying? So if you're here to spend some money, Ross Bjork is a great guy to hire. He's that proven track record. Now, has he won a single national championship? No. Has he gotten close? Also no, but he will spend lots of money, and he has proven that. Counterpoint. <laughs> ADs don't win titles. Yeah. They don't win titles. I, I can't tell you the time that I have truly credited an AD with a football title. I can't. Even Scott Woodward. Like, Scott Woodward, 2019 mm-hmm. at LSU, does he get credit for that title? Does does Greg Byrne get credit for all these titles that, that Nick Saban's won? I mean... You know, I think there's probably a, a line where we're like, yeah, this is what the football team has done. And the AD set that up and put yeah. position and they put it on the resume, obviously. But I, I don't know that I've ever credited an AD with a, with a national championship. And football is interesting. I think that Woodward, I mean, I think he gets the women's title. I think the women's basketball title. Right, all him. Yeah. I, I think the baseball title, they were kind of also followed from grace about going to hand that to him, but I think it was a pretty big part of it. You know what I'm saying? So, and you know, Brian Kelly thing as well. I don't know who's making that. That's he is the, he is the AD who signed Jimbo. You know what I'm saying? So some ADs can make those big deals. And I think that's a skill, but to your point, is it pass fail? Is it, you didn't win a title, so you're fail? That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying that that approach hasn't exactly produced results. It didn't at A&M at least, you know? Yeah. I don't know that Ross Bjork took that job at Ohio state just so that he could be chomping at the bit to give Ryan Day a Jimbo Fisher-like extension. <laughs> okay, I'll say that. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to want to make his stamp on that job because that's what ADs do. That's what they want to do. They said, they said oh, Ross Bjork, we, man, we need $13 million you know, to keep this roster together. He said, that's child's play, brother. <laughs> $13 million is all you need from me? This is easy work. You said million with an M, not billion with a B. Not billion? Right? Let me hang up with the Saudis. Hold on. Million? Okay. (laughs) Yikes. Here's the thing about Ohio State. We've really only seen this job open, truly open, hit the open market once in the last two decades. Mm -hmm. Right? Ryan Day was the obvious internal promotion after the urban fallout 2018 with the Zach Smith stuff. It was shades of, you know, Oklahoma with going from, from Stoops to Riley without the scandal, obviously. But before that, this really only came open post trestle tattoo gate when Luke Fickle got the trial run with a depleted roster. They never took the interim title off of him. It didn't work. So the Buckeyes went out and got the guy with two rings in the previous six years of the sport. And that was at a time. Go back and look this up, too. It's easy to forget this. I think we look at the hire and say, oh, my God, Ohio State hired Urban Meyer. Of course they did. Splashy makes a ton of sense. They were three weeks away from finding out their NCAA punishment for Tattoo Gate. So yep. technically, at the time that they hired Urban Meyer, they didn't even know that they were going to be facing a bowl ban next year, which is crazy to think about, to, to have a hire that good, knowing that mm-hmm. postseason's not going to be on the table for you. Then obviously, Urban has the undefeated season where they can't even go to a bowl game, and they you know, didn't declare themselves national champs and probably deserve a little bit of credit for that, but really not so much. Um, and, and to credit Ohio State really quick, I mean, you know, we talk about the program, we talk about the brand, we talk about the continuity. I mean, they're like, quote unquote, like last choice. Like if they had gone with the interim guy, it would have been Luke Fickle, who is a guy that has a playoff appearance, appearance that was Cincinnati that just got the Wisconsin job. So, I mean, they've kept it really locked down up there. There's not been a lot of mistakes made. 
mistakes now. Not not in terms of the last ninety percent, which was the hardest part. But they don't hit a lot of you know they don't hit a lot of singles. <laughs> Yeah, they, they they do not. I, I think I was trying to put this in perspective a little bit just because I, I don't want to speak too much in absolutes here. And I try and avoid that. If Ryan Day is fired, which is a, a big if, if this season does not go well, all this money that has been spent on this roster to win a national championship, if he is fired, this might be the most attractive job opening in college football history. Hmm. It would be up there, Will. I I That place recruits itself. It, yeah. it does in so many ways. If you don't believe that, then tell me about Ryan Day signing elite recruiting classes as a first-time head coach who spent a year there as an assistant after a mm-hmm. lifetime of football at small schools in the Northeast. He spent a little bit of time in the NFL. Like These last couple weeks have shown us that Ohio State's collective is a blank check, and yeah. they will make it happen. Those people writing those checks haven't had to pay these buyouts. Because Urban, Trestle, those guys both stepped down. We know that everyone wants to get into the Big Ten and the SEC right now because of that TV money, because of the way that's going to escalate for the rest of the decade, the way that it is all set up as it currently stands. If this is a Jim Harbaugh-less Big Ten, that path is clearer than ever. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I say that with all due respect for Oregon. I say that with all due respect for Washington and what Jed Fish is trying to be able to rebuild there after the Kalen DeBoer departure, all those different things. But man, if you are hired for that job at Ohio state, you should have alignment in ways that most programs could never dream of. Mm-hmm. Plus, and here's the thing to remember, you're not replacing urban. You're replacing Ryan day. That's the guy that couldn't win the big one. Yep. Ohio state is everything you need, everything. And if you don't believe that, Perhaps you missed the part where they finished in the top 10, 17 of the last 19 seasons. 17 of the last 19. And the only two were kind of post-tattoo gate. Yep. Or, you know, the Luke Fickle season. Then they had one season with Urban where Urban year two, they finished 12th. Because like, all right, they had they had sanctions. They're dealing with certain things. And the team just wasn't quite at the level that we saw uh, later in the decade. They didn't have the depth necessarily. Um, that is why the net that they will cast will be so far and wide. So far and wide, they will pursue a Brian Kelly. They will pursue a Lane Kiffin. They could also pursue the Mark Stoopses of the world, the Eli Drinkwitzes of the world. Those aren't necessarily going to scare people. In Mark the way Stoops that's was a free reign of Ohio is a terrifying thought, though. The you kingdom can... of Ohio is back just recruiting kids. Mark, Mark Stoops is like on the phone with Ross Bjork, and, and he's like, wait a minute. You mean I can recruit outside of Youngstown? They'll let Hold me on. do that? Buddy, don't let me take the car to Cleveland and Cincy. Hold on, watch out here. You mean if I go into Dayton, they're not going to tell me to get out of here? Unreal. Good for Stoops. Uh, that phone call would be so tough to turn down. Yeah. So tough to turn down. It is a national recruiting brand. Ton of success in the 21st century. Uh, a title that current recruits actually remember. Five playoff appearances in the last decade. All those things that I mentioned. Like, you understand, like, this... This job, I know we clown on Ohio State. We clown on them because they're two and thirteen against SEC in postseason play. Yeah, yeah, not good, not good. If I made a joke about what the record was, it wouldn't be that bad. I'm sorry, I'm just that hit me like a ton of bricks. That I would have thought, you know, four hundred. <laughs> okay, winning percentage. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. It's, it's not even that. And so Ohio State is an easy team to to clown on because of that. And there are people listening to this will say, oh, "Why do I fear Ohio State? They, they can't win the big one. They can't do this. They can't do that." 
I get it. Trust me. I get it. But there are so many pieces of that job that would just make you say, yup, sign oh, me yeah. up. And it would put that stat to test that I always bring up with the SEC. The SEC has not had a coach leave on their own for another Power 5 job outside of the conference since James Franklin left Vandy for Penn State. That was at the end of 2013. Yep. Okay, More than 10 years ago, that was, that that happened. And that would put it to the test. It really, really would. So like with Saban, if this is a, a change and Ryan Day is gone, I think that they would turn this into, as you would say, a Jimmy Sexton masterclass. Oh, yeah. It would be guys getting raises, teams sweating this out. I mean, think about it. Just with Saban, Alabama, Washington, Arizona, San Jose State, Navy, all made head coaching changes. So, like – Include the guys that got raises, that had all these mm -hmm. announcements and stuff. Ten different programs were directly impacted by Saban's retirement. I mean, that's that's crazy. And this is a top tier one type job. I cannot emphasize that enough. I've never had a dog in the fight for Ohio State. I, I told you that. Like early days of coming here as a result of what Ohio State did 2014 season and having that interest on the Big Ten side. Like that is the most I've had a dog in the fight for Ohio State. But mm -hmm. I cannot emphasize enough how coveted an opening like that would be and how much their season can can impact so many others. And it can be this sliding doors moment for college football for this 12-team playoff era. So let's also remember the other part. If this doesn't work out for Ryan Day, 30-day window season for that roster. Feeding frenzy mm -hmm. all over the place. Just like we're seeing with Alabama. Ohio State will then have to fend off the masses for all of those guys that can leave without penalty. Mm -hmm. And that is chaos in itself. And Ohio State has benefited from that. Obviously, they've got three transfers from Bama, two of which were after Saban's retired, retirement, and one of which is a guy who's hopefully going to be able to snap a football next year. Who knows? TBD on that. Yeah. There's chaos coming. There is. And I know that some think players are leaving Alabama because the program was just a byproduct of having the best coach of all time. But you would have plenty of people leaving Ohio State players doing the exact same thing because that's just the way that, that this works. And even guys that could have NFL riches on the way who could say, you know what, I'm going to spend one more year in college. I'm going to up my, my draft stock. I'm going to do it that way. Maybe there's a little bit less flexibility now that we're entering the fourth post-2020 season. Maybe not quite as many of those six-year seniors in the sport by the time 2025 rolls around. But still, Ohio State holds the key to chaos in 2024. It is a weird thing to say about a program that we view as like, hey, we're, we're talking about a team that, that hasn't competed at that, that national championship level on a yearly basis. And they've been in that next year. That's what they have mm -hmm. been the last three years. But still, they could be a threat to the SEC in this, in this new world that we are living in. And I think we're, we're seeing shades of that right now. Also, remember, Texas, Bama, Georgia, all of home and homes against Ohio State coming up as well. From yeah. 2025 through 2031, all three of those teams have home and homes. But yeah, short term, this is going to be di dissected a lot. There's a world in which Ryan Day demolishes Michigan, clears that hurdle, but then doesn't win a playoff game. And maybe that's not good enough. You know, mm -hmm. Ohio State could get into the Final Four. And then unlike two years ago, when the Buckeyes shanked the field goals, the clock struck midnight on 2022, and basically their season as a whole – they could lose 35 to seven to Georgia and Ross Bjork could say, you know what? We're not there. I'm going to pull the plug. Yep. All of that, all of that is on the table. Ryan day, I think is 
and I haven't found this official number, so I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, don't etch this in stone. But he's making ten point two million dollars a year with the retention bonus that he'll get at the end of January. Mm-hmm. If Ohio State had canned him this past December, his buyout would have been forty six million dollars, which is insane to think about. Mm-hmm. Not insane for Ross Bjork though. Not insane. But I was about to say that's a drop in the bucket for some of the stuff we've been talking about. You know? Yeah, I think he's gonna. I think his buyout would be like half of what Jimbo got, less than half of that. Mid yeah. mid thirties, something like that. We're talking about, which is. Still would be the second richest buyout in the history of the sport by a good amount as well. But again, it's not Jimbo money. So um, yeah. that that's that's what we could be be talking about for for the Buckeyes. All-time move by Ross Bjork to agree to pay this insane buyout, to, to have AM money going towards that. But instead of sticking around and having to like go back to those people and ask them for money for other things and stuff to cover the hundreds of millions of dollars that AM is in debt, all those things. Bjork's like, nah, I'm out. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go schmooze some some new people. Um, who knows? Maybe Scott Strickland will take that job uh at AM, leave Florida. I'm told there's real there's real smoke there. Keep an eye on that one. Florida is that considered a better job than Florida? Uh look. I think Florida's I, a really good job, especially for an AD. It's actually shocking to me because Florida's we're talking about a program that has multiple sport championships that is across a better school, I believe. I'm pretty I mean Florida's a really good school and they have all this stuff going for them to like locate. I would be shocked if somebody left Florida for AM, just from my opinion. Um yeah, I, I mean I, I hesitate to say one job is better than another. I, I think it depends on what kind of AD you want to be. If you want to be yep. the type of AD that's judged for a variety of sports. I like, I mean, ideally you would love to be at a place like Florida where Florida is prides itself on being that everything school. And while A&M has made great hires in, in big revenue sports, and they've had a lot of success in Schloss and baseball, and Buzz Williams, I love and you know, on the basketball side as well. I think you would still look at that job and go, well, gosh, I mean, you're going to be associated with the, the football coach. Scott Strickland's also associated with the football coach. I mean, let's not, yeah. you know, let's not get it twisted here. Obviously it's so much of it is dependent on Billy Napier, um, but you know, that's, that'd be a, Hey, I'm probably trying to escape my fate. Yeah, I know right. that I have a That's the boss. other thing is that if they're kind of starting to sour on strictly, it's like, I've just taken an upgrade and going to Texas a and It's like, are you though? Like, cause they're from what I've heard, that's the vibe I get from Florida fans is that probably another year under Napier, if things aren't turned around time for Strickland to start updating that resume, buddy. Yeah. Who, who knows <laughs> how, how that could go. And yeah. maybe he wants to try and get ahead of it and not be associated with that. I, ADs operate in weird ways that are tougher to track, oddly, than head coaches, as weird as that might sound. But yeah, yeah. Um, Ohio State undergoing a season that is going to have everybody watching, and I will be watching, if for nothing else, than to see if they can snap a football. <laughs> that is a great outro right there. Um, yeah, so this is so fascinating. I'm so glad, I'm so lucky to be able to be on this podcast at this really pivotal time in college football, because we get to have these recurring discussions and kind of reference things we've talked about during this process. And one of them was about the national championship and how those teams got there. Right. And we talked about there's two very different methodologies here. Well, the Washington way, right. We've seen a school already try to copy the Washington way. That's Alabama. They took that whole way. They went, you know, the scheme, you know, we're going to, we're going to build on this. You know, we love the way that you guys have won and kind of like locked everything down. And the Michigan way, you know, we talked about it. And, and at the time, what I said was, there are not a ton of programs that have the ability, the luxury to do what Michigan did, you know, to build, quote unquote, the right way to hire a Michigan man, to pay him all this money to, to, you know, build. and also, you know, 
a lot of people would be screaming about cheating. Me too. I get it. Um, but that was seen as like the old school way is what Michigan did. When you look at Iowa State, they're looking at Michigan. They're like, well, we saw how Michigan won. We're going to do the backwards opposite of that. We are going to, yeah, we're going to recruit from high school ranks. I get that. Yeah, we have our guy in Ryan Day who was kind of handpicked by administration. I get it. But we are going to dive headfirst into this portal. We are not going to do any of this made-up tradition, leaders, and legends nonsense. We are going to go right straight express pass to the front line of the new age of college football. And to your point, I think, you know, likely losing using Jim or losing Jim Harbaugh. Okay, question. Me and my friends have been talking about this. These graphics that NFL teams are putting out for interviews, is this new? Has this always happened? It's happened in the last it was happening pre-pandemic. Okay. It was. Um, it's because of the Rooney rule, if we're being honest. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's because of that. And I look, it's 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 a sore subject because I think it's kind of messed up the way that it, it yeah, it goes like for, for a lot of these programs that are they're floating this out there of like, oh, we interviewed Jim Harbaugh today. Oh, we interviewed David Shaw today. Tell me how how serious that interview with David Shaw was. I'd love right. to know that. I really would. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and what's what's been interesting, like we've always heard, you know, the Schefter, like the basketball version would be the Woj version of like, this team is interested in this coach. They're talking to this coach. The graphics of we have completed our second interview with Jim Harbaugh. I've seen a couple of those and I'm like, okay, so this dude does appear to be kind of like continuing, like teams are interested. He's interested. They both swipe right, whatever. So point being, you know, I think it's one of those, like exactly what you just said that, you know, they're going to take a step back regardless. That's just how things work now in terms of you don't get to get better after such a great season with your coach leaving because any of the players you could have developed are going to leave. Like you said, it's just how it's going to work. If Alabama can't retain guys with that culture they had down there, don't think Michigan will be any different just because they picked an internal guy, right? And you could say, even if it's like Sean Moore, you point at him and say, this is our guy. You guys already played for him. And they're going to be like, cool, let me text my buddy and see if I get my NIL valuation. Because why wouldn't you at that point? So point being, Michigan appears to be kind of at least for a season, kind of being pushed to the wayside because number one, repeating is really hard. We talked about that. Number two, portal, coach, all that. So Ohio State sees an opportunity, which is that, you know, we can erase what Michigan did, their first, you know, uncontested national title since 48. And if we do it, quote unquote, the legal way, the right way, we can totally say, well, you know what? You had your one year in the spotlight. We're back. We're here to stay. We have the same AD. We have the same coach. I think that this is exactly the right time to make that move. I think that it makes... So much sense. I think that for hiring this AD, as much as I want to joke about the money thing, I've had a very clear, hard and fast rule here. If you're a, a team that has gobs of money, I'm going to make fun of you because you're never going to truly be struggling. Your pain is all self-inflicted. That's exactly where A&M is. That's exactly where Ohio State is. All your pain is self-inflicted. You're playing a game that only about 10 schools have the luxury of doing. And that being said, you know, why wouldn't you? If you're Ohio State, if you have, and, and you talked about how they're this, it's almost, oh gosh, I hate to say this out loud, but it's the only way I can express this point. It's almost like they are underrated in a way, not because they're ones and losses, because they've, they, you, the thing that's so frustrating, I'm assuming as an Ohio State fan, is that you see your team look like a juggernaut all season. And there are only a certain amount of teams that have the continuity and the roster that you do. And you only see those teams at the end of the season. So you have these opinions of how your teams are different year to year. You have your opinions of how it's going to go. But then, as you said, what's it, two and 13 against the SEC? Two and thirteen against the SEC in bowl games. That's what we're talking about. Yep. And, and postseason play counting playoff. Yeah. So point being, like that's it's just over and over and over again, kind of getting hyped up and then falling. And and so as a fan, I'm sure that can't be great because you have all the logical reason to be there. So why not exactly what you said? Push all the chips in. You have a new AD. 
sometimes that scene is, oh, this guy didn't hire this coach. You know, we have often seen that in other situations. Uh, talking about, you know, the Mississippi schools, stuff like that. It's like, oh, this guy didn't hire this coach. How's he gonna, how's he gonna handle this? So point being, this can truly be like a one-to-one job interview of like, hey, Ryan Day, we're gonna give you all the tools in the world, in the history of college football. Like you said, talent acquisition, I think this is the best job that's ever been done. Because even when AM did it in 22, they didn't have, number one, weirdly, they didn't even have this level of success. It's number freshman. two, it's freshman. Yeah. That's not getting at all. Guys, we're going to start off like Judkins mm-hmm. and, and Downs are starting off as All Americans this year. I, in the yeah. SEC, they would have been two of the top three or four players returning in the conference. This isn't yep. just, oh, we, we won these recruiting battles for all these five stars and we accumulated talent and hopefully they develop. These are established guys, and that's probably why I feel a little bit differently about this than if, if I had found out Ohio State signed a historic recruiting class. 100%. Because then not only do you have the built-in stars and the players that are used to playing college football, but you also have the ability to build after that. You also have all these freshmen coming in that have now seen winning. They have now been around. They're now winners, and they, they, they have that tradition. So I think this is a genius move for Ohio State. I think that, um, you know, to, to to look at all of it on paper and say, okay, this is their best shot for a title that we can, you know, probably going back to the Urban Meyer years, right? Because Michigan was still kind of tumultuous there. And it, it really just is the fact that, you know, I, I, I fully understand what you're saying about the game and that guys would rather win it, or fans would rather win a championship, but that rivalry does really matter. And they would tell us that it's more important than the Iron Bowl, especially now that Michigan's won a title. I mean, that was without any of that, you know? So point being like, yeah, I think that Michigan, if they lose to Michigan this year, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, that's dang near fireable because of all the turnover at Michigan. It's not like being last year's Michigan team or the previous two years. It's like if you find a way to accuse them of cheating, say it's all their fault, saying those wins didn't matter, then lose again, and then they lose their coach, and then you lose again, how do you face the media and say, you know, we're building a champion here, even if you even if you win a playoff game or whatever? So I think that's going to be interesting. But, yeah, point being, you know, when you look at, gosh, I mean, Travion Henderson coming back, on top of the Judkins news, where it's like, okay, well, Henderson's gone. No worries. We got Judkins. It's going to be one-to-one. He's, he's an All-American, former as a freshman. It's going to be fine. Oh, wait, hold on. Now we have both of them, and now we can put them both, you know, screen passes. We can get them in space. So when you look up and down this roster, it's truly horrifying from a, tender st- from a talent standpoint. But I will, you know, I started kind of roasting them. In the middle, I used my logical brain. Now I'm just going to say one anecdote uh, that I've said in group chats, which is finally what Ohio State's been missing for 20 years. Talent. <laughs> Man, they, I can't believe they got Bill O'Brien. I can't believe that. Of all, <laughs> Sorry, the, like, of all the things that we, we bring up when we talk about like this roster and, and, and how it, it should, in theory, be like this fascinating mm-hmm. experiment of, of portal, high school talent, big-time program, like blending all these things together in a way that we haven't quite seen yet. Bill O'Brien, the stench that that is associated with that, it is so hard to get on board with that. And when, you know, I'm seeing like, you know, Liam Cohen is interviewing for the job and I'm seeing, you know, like something like that comes out. And I'm like, I think Liam Cohen could do some really good things for that talent. <laughs> I yeah. really could. And I know I'm a little bit biased in, in saying that, but man. I don't think you're biased in saying he's better than Bill O'Brien. I think that's just a fact. And like, I'll say this to you. If, again, we always talk about the NFL guys kind of looking, looking down at college guys. I know I probably get old. It gets old hearing about it, but you know, if you're looking at a coach in Bill O'Brien who was with the Patriots and they struggled, then he went to Alabama and they struggled with Nick Saban. And then they he went back to Bill Belichick. Now Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are gone. And of the recent combined three OC hires, two of them were Bill O'Brien. 
I've, like you ran two of the greatest minds at least out of their current stop because you were not performing where you needed to. I want truth serum Saban and truth serum Belichick. <laughs> not for everything else. Everything else would be fascinating. It'd be great. But just a half hour with truth serum Bill O'Brien. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just all of their unfiltered thoughts on him as an OC. I mean, Belichick probably can't complain as much because when you go from Matt Patricia as your OC to Bill O'Brien, <sighs> I, I suppose that is an upgrade, I guess. But... Oh, I mean, Matt Patricia has never been a good defensive coordinator. And yet he has found a way to not only be that for the Eagles, but also head coach in an offensive. Whose secrets does Matt Patricia have? Another great conversation. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I, I could not tell you. A lot of people feel that way about Bill O'Brien. Why yeah. does this guy continue to get hired for these roles? And I don't even know that they're going to get to a place where we can do the back and forth of uh, he has play calling duties. He doesn't have play calling right. duties where they can go. Um, and like basically it, it could be a weekly circus with Ryan Day talking about that because their schedule is very is pretty backloaded if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And they do not have a premier non-conference game. I don't believe this year that doesn't start. I want to say it doesn't start until 2025. Like I'm pretty sure they don't, they had like a a canceled power five matchup. And I want to say they just have three group of five teams in non-conference play coming up. I think Joe Moorhead's Akron is on that. So Uh, they are at Oregon, but that's conference play. Oh my gosh. You're right. That started off as one of those weird, at a conference ones, and now it's a conference game. You're right. Oh, You're so exactly maybe right. you, maybe what it was is that that might have been rescheduled because of the 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 pandemic, the the 2020 matchup that didn't happen, and then it got moved. That's probably what it was, and why that is what it is. Okay, so that that's but at the same time, so we won't have like you know Ohio State getting to face Texas or something like that, or Ohio State against Oklahoma, or one of these like, hey, how do they stack up against teams that aren't Michigan, which is you know not really been much of a question. It's just Ohio State against Michigan. And that's what all this comes down to. But man, it's interesting. It's really, really interesting. And if you are one of these people that's like, hey, I've, I've got to consume more teams in this 12 team playoff era, and there are more things that can impact my team, take note. Trust me, Ohio State is, is worth all of the consumption that is going to come with it this year. And I may or may not have, but definitely already called it a season on the brink. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, with this, well, first off, I want to say I can already see a game on the schedule. I will actually be rooting for Ohio State. And that is at Penn State. I would love for them to smash Penn State by 50 points and watch James Franklin react to that post game and how it's all his players fault. That would be hilarious. Um, probably hopefully- fire an assistant or say like his receivers <laughs> coach sucks or probably something like that. Yeah. They're in the, they're the worst version of the Rick Crodrick, which is we know why we lose games and we can't stop it. It's like, we were kind of better than we were before. So we're scared. But anyway, so yeah. And let me just ask you this question, you know, before we get out of the Ohio state stuff, if we're sitting here in, you know, six, eight months and we're saying Ohio state didn't get it done. What is six, the most eight months? Will, how do you think the year works? Um, yeah, that's not how the year works. Let's say <laughs> a year, a year. I fast forward through the off season. Okay, six eight months in football terms. This is recruiting season, Connor. All right, buddy. Buddy, so, we're not even into September yet. Yeah. So when the season starts, we'll be able to talk about the end of the season. Exactly. <laughs> that was my point. <laughs> okay. Good note. In twelve months, in a full calendar year, if we're sitting here at the end of the year, and we're saying Ohio State didn't get it done. What do you think is the reason why that would have happened? Bill O'Brien. I mean. Is that too lame? Is that is that too easy of a default to say Bill Brown? Because I love this defense. 
I yeah. think Jim Knowles was a great hire. By Jim, Ryan that's Day. another one. They hired Jim Knowles, the DC, from that great uh, Oklahoma State team that was supposed to go to the playoff, and then they lost that heartbreaker against Baylor. Their, their defense is not the problem. Yeah, it, it's just not. Like I, I, I look at what they what what they should be able to bring to the table. How much improved they are in the trenches. Like Ohio State's defense, in theory should be set up to that is a national championship caliber defense in, in yep. every single way but it's about what does this offensive dynamic look like how does ryan day operate as a, a ceo of this bill o'brien led offense and how does bill o'brien not totally waste some really talented options and you know a big part of this too is okay what does it look like for for will howard a guy that i've liked i thought did some really good things when he was a starter at kansas state had mm-hmm. one of the best play callers in college football, in my opinion, and Colin Klein. Mm-hmm. Obviously had Deuce Vaughn to be able to work with a couple of years ago. But what does it look like now? And what does it look like at the receiver position in a post-Marvin Harrison Jr. world? You obviously still have one of the best, probably the best receivers coach in the country and Brian Hartline that people trust. But mm-hmm. the questions reside on offense. They reside on offense. Can this group get back to what we saw a few years ago where it looked like, man, Whenever Ohio State steps on the field, unless they're facing some vintage Bama team, they should be as good as there is. Like yep. they should be as high potent as high potent gets, or unless it's Iowa at Kinnick, three uh, thirty in the afternoon, they should just be a juggernaut. And instead, um, they have not been that. So to me, that's that's the thing that could hold them back. Yes, and and I think that that's what's so interesting about kind of going outside of your self to hire this offensive coordinator because you have you know you have the ryan day offense right and you have will howard who is not from that offense and then you have bill o'brien who is a separate third offense you know and i'm i have not gotten into the x's nose enough to really say the similarities between those three coaching schools but i do think you know we can say bill o'brien and that be accurate but then the specifics i guess would be more of if they start to run the style of offense even that Alabama had, which is predicated on those tight windows, NFL decision-making. Well, funny enough, they just came from the quarterback and the receiver group that actually probably could have run that with Stroud and those boys that they had. This group is not quite, at least like Howard, I like, I like him a lot. We're seeing stuff from Stroud at the next level that makes you think, was I actually holding him back? Like, like what, what, that guy was so special. And so point, or is so special. He wasn't that special. at Ohio State. solid. He was a great, but considering he was special these, at Ohio State. I think he was special at Ohio State. I think we have a hard time saying that he was truly special because of the, the quarterbacks that came before him and how good exactly. Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins were. Exactly. And like, that's it. It's like, he didn't hit, stand head and shoulders above Haskins, Fields, those guys, the way he is immediately at the NFL level. So point being, it's like Howard as good to great as he has been still you know talk about fields Stroud. these are guys that are like you know nfl first round picks and stuff so hopefully he has the ability to as a football fan process all this put together say okay i got two coaches in my ears i still got this ghost of my old coaches who told me how to read certain coverages i gotta do all this in real time and again hopefully ryan day has shown that he could be the guy who you know takes his hands off of his baby which is his offense and then bill o'brien hopefully (laughs) Don't know why he would, but hopefully he's humbled himself enough to say, all right, well, these legendary coaches are all giving me chances and they're holding up upset with me. Maybe I should take a step back. So I think you're right. And maybe the specifics are getting all the offenses together, making it simple for a first year starter in this system. And then also those two, you know, Bill O'Brien, like you said, former head coach of Penn State. I mean, before Franklin, like guy with a big enough ego because he's done a lot in his career, honestly. And so point being, you know, 
and also former NFL head coach and GM. So if they can be on one page, that's what it is. If the offense can be on one page, they're going to be close to unstoppable and you know until something random happens. But if not, and that's why the first half of the season is going to be so fascinating, culminating with Iowa we're not as scared of long-term, right? They're, they're 25th listed here, but it's Iowa at home and then at Oregon. I think that at Oregon game, because to your point, they don't have some big Notre Dame game in week one that would test them. They have enough time to kind of get the wheels rolling, but then they travel to, I mean, Dan Lanning's got more juice than anybody right now. So I'm already excited about that matchup as one of the games of the year. It's going to be one of those, one of those, like going into the postseason, man, it's hard to imagine anybody that's got more pressure on them than, than Ryan Day. Yep. And, and I don't know that this year defines him, um, but it, it certainly feels like there are not a whole lot of meh results for this season in Columbus. Yep. I'm going to be texting my, uh, my guy, Nathan Baird, uh, who covers Ohio state and how's life? How right. are you doing? You, you hanging in there? You, man, it's been like just nonstop news over the course of the, of the last few weeks, but as intriguing as a program as there is in college football and one that look, even if you you hate Ohio State with every fiber of your being, you think they're the most overrated program in the country. Just know that they can absolutely impact your SEC team. Yep, and and I'll say this really quick too. It's what's so fascinating about them, as I think more and more about, it, is every team that has had chances and fallen short or fallen way short. Right? You can look at okay, you know, with Georgia, we lo- we've lost all those starters. We added Bobo. All that in the aggregate finally made us five percent worse, and that ended up mattering with the fumble, the play against Alabama. Da-da-da. You know, LSU, the defensive coordinator is horrible. You could go through all these uh, young head coach, Notre Dame, you know, leave 10 guys in the field. Da-da. With Ohio State, it's like, I can't really put my finger on why they ever lose a football game. It's not like there's one big issue I could circle. Like when they had the Shiano defense that was soft and getting pushed around, it was that, right? Now they don't have any reason to lose games ever. So it's like, how do you lose games? I don't get it. What do you need to fix? Yeah. And like with Michigan, for a while, it was, hey, you know, your offense needs to be modernize and then oh mm-hmm. you actually need to get back to your roots and you actually need to run a little bit more of a stripped down offense and you need to fire find the right defensive coordinator like yeah everybody seems to always have that those one like that one or two like really big things that that are going to hold them back and ohio state has not necessarily felt like that and maybe that's part of the reason why we continue to say year after year yes this team can win a national championship i don't think i will talk myself into picking ohio state to win a national championship for the third consecutive time <laughs> I think I've sworn sworn them off. I can't do yeah. that. That'd be that'd be a tough look for your boy. No, we will not be going through with that. You have to now. Now, now it's they got to break the curse. Because if you if you zig for three years and then you zag, you look double wrong. You might as well double down because they get the best chance ever this year. Nah, and then it starts getting into the, like the Chris Berman category where I'm like, all right, am I just doing nine or six? bit, yeah. Bowl? I got you. That's yeah, a bit year over year. Uh, Feinbaum used to pick Alabama to win a national championship every single year. I think he is finally uh, going to be away from that. Let's mm-hmm. kick it to Paul. Uh, great stuff with him, as always. I feel like I, I've said multiple times, um, Paul's going to join us, and then we've had to reschedule for for various things. It's been a very, very busy time uh, for him over at ESPN. So great that we were able to, to lock this in. Here's Paul Feinbaum. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Paul Feinbaum. Paul, we, uh, we rescheduled a couple of times, and with good reason. We were talking about it before we came on. You were originally going to come on the day after Saban announced his retirement. Then, understandably, that happens, and ESPN needed you to be on roughly 10 million shows because that's just the way that this business works. Um, Over under 20 interview requests you got in the 24 hours after that news dropped. 
Yeah, you know what was funny? I mean, I, I did I, I did quite a few things, but I, I may have been canceled on more things than I did because uh, four different times in a 24-hour period, I was waiting to go on when the Belichick news broke, when something else broke, and then when when uh, Mayo, uh, I was I was 20 seconds from SportsCenter when okay, well, breaking news here. Uh, I mean, I'm like going, Nick Saban retired, and I can't get on ESPN? What's going on here? <laughs> so take me back to that because – Chris Lowe, when he reports that Saban is retiring, I think all of us had to look at that tweet six, seven different times just to see that it was actually Chris Lowe saying this and that it wasn't just some bot or something like that. And it happened, if I'm not mistaken, like right in the middle of your show. And I wasn't watching at the time, but the most peak fine bomb thing ever would have been if you were in the midst of a call with someone and somebody is reading that news and then reading that live on air to you. I'm guessing that it was like Danny or, or Jamari or somebody that was in your ear, just kind of in disbelief with the whole thing. Yeah, it was 508. Um, and I'll get, I'll get to the fact that we had talked about this quite a bit uh, at ESPN in preparation. But uh, all of a sudden, I heard kind of a yelp. I didn't know if a, if a, if a rat had gotten loose in the control room or not. But uh, one of our, our people yelled, Nick Saban is retiring. And I, I just kind of I was talking to some guy about whatever. Um, and they, you know, we can go off the air even while we're on the air. Um, all I said is, listen, let's take a break and figure this thing out. I, I did not want to be the guy who rushed into and realized it was it was Chris Lowe's burner account. Um, so we took a break. I said, I, I said, I said, are we sure? He said, yeah. I said, let's get low on if we can. And I just said, let's just all calm down here. Uh, and, and one thing I learned, I've, I've broken into stories earlier in my in my ESPN tenure. And I found out something that I, I really refu I refused to accept this for a long time, that when you're on television, Connor, it really helps if you have support from a graphic standpoint and you're just not some guy reading. I, I broke into a story once about some NCAA violation and I'm reading all that. And nobody has a clue because you, you're not really. So by the time we came back five minutes later, uh, I, I had kind of told our, our team, I said, I think what we need to do is just. I use a, an old newspaper uh, phrase uh, invented by Hal Raines of the New York Times. I said, let's flood the zone. What does that mean? I mean, just get as many reporters. Let's just, let's, let's, this is the end of the world as we know it. Um, and let's, let's just, and I, no, I don't want calls because you don't know what's going to, you don't want, you don't need that caller who hasn't heard the news and they're asking you about, you know, why John Calipari can't get to the final four. So, uh, we just load, load, I kept saying, load them up like, like, like planes at rush hour at LaGuardia. And, and they did. I mean, our, our team, as you, you know them well, I mean, I can't tell you how many people we had on the next hour and 45 minutes. Uh, some, uh, I mean, it was just an endless stream of, of guests and I had no idea what they were doing. I just, uh, we, we were, we were literally r racing through them, but the first one was Chris Lowe and he had the story for us. It's crazy how it came together because I think everybody had a vision of what it would look like, what his send off would be. Would it be would it be this internal replacement, this year long retirement tour, a la Coach K, something like that? And instead, it's uh, five o'clock on a Wednesday, and it's the season's over. Saban hasn't just dusted confetti off of himself. I asked Jim Dunaway this, and I'm curious what your take is now that we've had two weeks to kind of take this in. We've you know not caught up in the moment as much. When do you think that Nick knew that this was it? I sensed, Connor, it was going on all year long. And I saw him three or four, I think four times throughout the season. 
And every time there was just kind of a distant look. Uh, first time was Texas, Tennessee, SEC, and then Rose Bowl. Um, I kept hearing things, but but finally, the day after uh, the uh, championship game, I received a call from somebody on his staff. And I'm not talking about administrative staff. I'm talking one of his coaches. And he said, he was, we were somebody I'm friends with, but you know, you don't talk to coaches during the season. Uh, I, I don't bother them. Um, and you talk to them when they can talk. Uh, so he called me on a Sunday afternoon and say, what'd you think of the game? Can you believe that? This was right after Alabama had gotten in the playoffs and we're talking. And I knew there was a purpose. He, I said, I asked him how he was and you know, he, he had something going on. Um, he finally said, Hey, he said, I, I think, he said, I, I think, I think this might be it for Nick. I go, really? Mm, okay. Um, and he kind of gave me a, a, a story that he had been on a recruiting trip with him the week before. And he came, and he said, the man, he just felt tired. I'd heard that from one of our people who had interviewed Saban uh, in Atlanta. Um, I kind of thought about it. And he, 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 he said, listen, I just think, I said, what, what do you think the odds are? And he goes, well, 50, 50. I'm like, going, that, that's really not what I wanted to hear. Um, so I, I, I alerted our team. I said, we need to, and all of a sudden we kind of went into, let's, let's make sure we're prepared. Uh, we don't know when it's going to be. Um, and I, I know that's always a mistake because that means I've got to do essays. Uh, so I've got to write essays that I've written a thousand. I, I, this happened back in 15, 16, 17, there was always a rumor. So I, I, I told somebody and, I, and usually during the championship game week, I, I'm like, Trying, I, I, I'm trying to type on you know whatever I can find because sometimes for whatever reason my, my laptop did not compute, so I'm literally writing on a uh, iPhone a couple of different times. So I, I had all this in my head, and most of it was Brian to say, but stuff I'd written a thousand times. Um, so uh, we recorded one or two just in case he announced after the game. And I, I just, then I went to Birmingham two weeks later, uh, right before Christmas, and met with, with one of my top. Uh, went to an event. I was hosting an event, um, and I met with one of my top guys, uh, probably my best source in the world. Afterwards, uh, and he, I said, "What do you think? What do you think?" He said, 50 50 I'm like, oh, <laughs> "I don't want to hear fifty 50 <laughs> But but I, when we went to Pasadena, I told our team, but I said, "I don't want to make a big deal about this because if we're wrong, we'll you know." It's not worth if he decides to announce it, let him do it. But I don't want to be having him have to react. It was just there comes a point. So anyway, uh, the game's over and you kind of forget about it. Uh, I flew back right after the game. Uh, I did all the shows. And now Wednesday morning, I know it sounds like a long story. On Wednesday morning after it would be January 3rd, I'm on with Greenberg on Ghetto. And he asked us, Paul. Have we seen Jim Harbaugh's final game? And have we seen the end of Nick Saban? So I give him a Harbaugh answer. And I keep saying to myself, just don't step in on the landmine. But I couldn't help myself. I said, Green, I said, Greeny, I said, you know, Harbaugh's gone. I said, and quite frankly, I, I believe we have we may have seen Nick Saban's swan song on Monday afternoon. I, I just I finished the segment and I'm like going, I hope nobody heard that forgetting that a million people were watching. Ten minutes later, Saturday down south, um, all these places, Feinbaum says the end is near for saving. I'm like, ah. Uh, next thing I see on my, my, my 
tweet line, uh, my, my, my timeline, Stephen Nasser, Paul Feinbaum, there you go again. You're 100% wrong. I need you on my show tomorrow. So I go on with Stephen A, and he just berates me. Yeah, I, I know Nick Saban. I said, and I just said, you know, I, I'm sick of this. I said, you may be right. Say, I, I don't know. I just, I, I laid off the story, never mentioned it again. Uh, and here we are. That's incredible. I think there are a lot of people who assume that you know before anybody else knows. And that's the type of thing that you get tipped off where, you know, Kevin Steele, oh, my bad, unnamed coach calls you uh, on Sunday afternoon to let you know. Uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't Tom Grease. That, that much we know. Uh, but yeah, you get that call and it's kind of like, all right, what do I do with this? Because you can't just come onto your airways on Monday and lead with that and say, hey, I got an interesting phone call yesterday. And even though that would create four hours of just nonstop content for you, and there are people in this business that would do it that way, but you have to approach this with such caution, not only because of who your employer is, but also because of the relationships you've established, the credibility you've established. And now you go back to Stephen A and you say, hey, come on my show and I'll berate you because you were wrong. Well, but what, what was interesting is that the story kind of went away. Um, and I didn't do anything. Uh, fortunately, it never came up on our show. <laughs> um, and I just... It, I think because I was sensitive to the situation, and by the way, I there's, this is not a story that I really am in the business of breaking. I, I really wouldn't want it. Um, that's not what I do. Um, and to me, I wanted, I just wanted to, Nick Saban is such a critical figure in all of our lives. And I, I just did not want to put him in that awkward spot. And we, I watched his interview a couple of days later with uh, McAfee. I was with uh, our, our team and I just said, he, he gave a lot of non-answers. Um, but it's still not the kind of thing that you're obsessed with because you just, there's still such controversy after the season. The, the national championship game is going on a couple of days later. You're just kind of, you're just kind of happy. It's about all over. Um, but there, there is one of you, you, you do have an antenna up uh, in case. It, I think it was easier that way though. I mean, if I was caught by total shock, I don't know if I would have been able to handle it uh, like we did. So, but but I was in gear and and you, you just let it go. I made the argument before Saban announced his retirement that I, I thought Kirby missed his window to pass him, and and I thought losing the SEC championship was a big part of that. And while I still think that Kirby still has several more titles in him, if I'm betting today, I'll take multiple Kirby Smart National Championships, whatever that over under is. But Saban going five and one against Kirby and winning the last game to stop the three-peat instead of losing multiple games in a row to him, it feels significant. Do you feel like Kirby will ever catch Saban? Possibly. Uh, and back to the, that phone call, that was the that was the premise of, of the call that, that Saban really had nothing more to prove. Um, that to him, and this was before the Rose Bowl, but he said to the coach, he said, that was really more important to, to not that it was, that, that, I mean, those two are friends, you know that, but it was just to Saban's legacy. That was critical that Kirby smart didn't have a three peat. I, th I think Kirby smart will catch him because I think he has enough time. Uh, and, and it's impossible to, to say, but I think Kirby smart's the best coach in the country right now. He has, he has the best program, although Ohio state's making a lot of noise the, the last few days. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he coaches 15 more years 
or 20 more years, I mean, you, you could, you could work in a few more titles. It's a big if it feels like, yeah. especially seeing how many people in this sport are now talking about the year round calendar and how that has changed. And that's going to be something that I think even Georgia fans are, are looking at Kirby and they're like, man, that you see some of these angles from him. You're like, man, he looks so different than he did five years ago when he started this run. And that's going to be a question for, for any great coach is how long can you do it? How sustainable is what you're currently doing? If I had told you back in May when we last talked on these airwaves that Nick Saban would retire at season's end or Jim Harbaugh would win a national championship, which would have been more surprising to you? I would have been more surprised by Harbaugh. <laughs> I just, I had this uh, chip in my mind that just would not allow me to believe that he could ever do it. Um, but, you know, I found myself glad he did. Uh, you know, some of the, sometimes you're just glad when these things, when these things end. Um, and, and I was glad, uh, it was a pretty remarkable thing to watch. Uh, but I, I thought there's always that chance. I mean, I, I did, even though I thought Saban might retire, I, I thought that the odds were better that, uh, the, that he, that Harbaugh, that he would do that than Harbaugh win a championship. I know you've admitted, uh, that you were, I think you said you were more wrong about this than anything in your career. I think you said that on, on get up, so a variation of that. And yeah. Probably not, probably not a true statement, but who cares? Yeah, we, we've all been there. We've all said this is going to be a home run hire. This team is going to win a national championship and they win six games. It happens to the best of us. Where are you at with, with Harbaugh personally? Does he still call you Pete? Did you reach out well, after he won a national uh, championship? This, this will sound like a typical Pete Feinbaum line here, but when I, when I made that statement, I had uh, I'd gotten up the, the previous morning at 3, 3.15 in L.A., and uh, we were now – Tuesday morning at eight eight thirty, and I had not slept, and I'd seen my Crimson Tide lose, so I, I, I was under severe uh, strain. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I was, I was, I was, I was sitting there waiting to go on, um, and I just, I, I knew I needed a declarative statement to put this to bed. You, this is not where you come on and say, well, I want to apologize to Michigan fans. By, by the way, I, I did not want to apologize to Michigan fans about anything. Uh, what I had to say had nothing to do with Jim Harbaugh uh, in terms of his coaching career. I, I was talking about the sign-stealing scandal. But I thought, let me find some way just to – I hate people in our business when they come on and talk about how right they were. Uh, and then when they were wrong, they, they, they turned it into some mea culpa. I mean, the bottom line is I wanted to end it in one comment because I never wanted to talk about it again. So if you ever ask me again, I will, I will have you arrested. <laughs> I believe you could. I, I really do. I think you have that kind of power uh, to where you can make things happen very quickly. Um, a lot of people are wondering kind of, you know, with this, with Harbaugh winning his first one, Saban obviously out of the sport now, there is this list of of great coaches in the sport or very good coaches in the sport who are still trying to win that first championship between Ryan Day, Brian Kelly, Dan Lanning, Lincoln Riley, Lane, Kalen DeBoer, like anyone but James Franklin basically for me is, is who I'll mention in that. Um, but who who do you think is the next first time national championship winner? I I, I probably think it's uh, Brian Kelly. Uh, I, I think what he's doing right now is pretty, pretty stunning and uh, it's happening. It's happened late. Um, but, but I, I think he's very capable and will win a national championship. Ryan, Ryan Day is the mystery. Uh, he, he's just he's added a lot of key components, but I still wonder about him. Um, and he is he is entering a, a really big year that if he doesn't pull this off now, 
when is he going to pull it off? And, and, I, and I always say, and I'm sure you agree, when you get a new boss, which he has, even though it may be an old guy, old boss to us, uh, the pressure goes up. He's got a boss who just paid a coach $77 million to walk away. Yeah. So I, I don't care what that number is. Ross Bjork will, will be willing to pull yeah, the trigger. And, and I think Ross, uh, Ross is maybe the right guy for that job uh, because he, he's been, he, he, he's been, he's, he's seen it all after being at uh, Ole Miss and, and Texas A&M. And a lot of people were surprised by the hire, but whenever you have a, an AD that's been there a long time, as, as respected as Gene Smith is, uh, you need you need a change because you you, you become uh, institutionalized a little bit. And I've talked to friends in Columbus who who felt they they really needed an upgrade up there in terms of the way things are in college football. Well, apparently they they've gotten it already based on the portal. Figured it out in a hurry. Something that we we've talked about uh, in the open here in Ohio State. All the different elements that are associated with this team and how it could impact the rest of the sport. One of those maybe potentially Lane Kiffin. Do you think? Gosh, what's what's a good way to ask this? One, do you think Lane wanted the Alabama job? And two, what is that list of jobs that Lane could potentially leave Ole Miss for? I know Ole Miss fans are tired of hearing this, but it's a question that's worth asked if we're going to see these openings every single offseason and then he isn't ultimately the one that that fills that vacancy. I'm going I'm to give you a weird answer here, but I think Lane Kiffin thinks he wanted the Alabama shot. Um, I don't know if he really did, but I, I think Lane is just, in, he, he, he's transfixed by Alabama uh, because he seems to know a lot that goes on there. Um, and I, I think he wanted a call, but I think deep down, he knew he wasn't going to get one. Uh, I think he, I think there may be other jobs out there for Lane. And I know Ole Miss fans get very upset when people like us, start speculating, but I think he has not done it all there, but he's pretty much, he's pretty close to having done it all. Uh, he, he's really done a remarkable uh, job in terms of what he's been able to uh, put together. And I think this is his year. And if he can pull this year off, uh, will he be gone? Depends on what's open. Also feels like it could depend on what he feels like this team's upside is. If this team goes eight and four, with all the things that they've done in the portal, with how win now this team feels, and they miss out on the playoff again, that's kind of like, oh man, like what what am what am I doing here? But at the same time, if you show that you have that national championship upside, you can win in this new era of college football. Then who knows? Maybe that makes it feel like he can stay there long term, and this is a a decade long job for him. The timing just could be could be different. Um, what do you think Lane wants for his future? What do you, like what's what's your speculation based on where he's at? Because it, I know it's very well documented the Auburn stuff last year and how that all played out. But like, what, what do you think the next five years of Lane Kiffin looks like? Well, I think, first of all, I think he's been fortunate. Um, I think he would have done well at Auburn, but to me, that was still a, a fuzzy place for him. Uh, Alabama, I think would have been, I mean, he would, he, he would have been good at Alabama, but I, I think he, I think he, I think the SEC is still his domain. So what jobs, become open that would interest him. I don't know. I could probably bet the two of us could come up with one or two. Um, but I just think it's uh, it's a matter of uh, what he sees. And he's got a really good gig now. But I, but I think I think Lane wants to be in the national championship race. And Ole Miss can get in it now with the playoff. But uh, it's this this next year is going to tell the tale. And if, if, if they stumble a couple of times, I, I think he, he would be more likely ready to go. 
if, if they run the, you know, if they, if they, if they're a serious playoff team, then that complicates things. But I, I think Lane's eyes are always wide open. It is interesting that he is now the third longest tenured coach in the SEC behind only Kirby and Mark Stoops, a place that not a lot of people thought he, he would get to, but he's going to continue to drive the conversation. That's just, that, that is reality. Um, in a post Saban world and maybe even a post Harbaugh world in college football, TBD on that as of this recording. But I think you need a new rival. You need a new, I don't, I don't want to say um, sacrificial lamb, whipping boy, wh whatever you want to call it. You need a new rival. I, I think Lane respects you a little bit too much for, for that to make sense for him. Yeah. Who's, who's good for you? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm glad Harbaugh is gone, but that, but that was it. Um, and you know, yeah, I don't think Lane and I are going to have too many problems. I mean, he his biggest issue with me was whenever I started to write Saban off. So, and and it was it was so disingenuous, but uh, I had to go along with it. You know, I don't know because I really like Kirby. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kelly's become a regular on our show. Uh, we just we we had we just had uh, Kaylin DeBoer on, and it seemed perfectly. He doesn't look like that. That's a guy that's going to be having too many media feuds. Um, I, I, I have to get back to you on that, but I will, I'm, I'm going to go to work on that immediately. What about Sark? What about Venables? New kid, you know, yeah. see, see what they can handle. Yeah. I mean, you know, Venables could be, cause you know, he was part of that Dabo tree that I always had a problem with. So, I mean, yeah, we could, we could load up on Venables. I've seen Sark tee off on a security guy. He, if he teed off like that on your airwaves, I look sites like ours would just cease to exist. That clip would be more famous than than your 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 Saban feud. I mean, that would be the stuff of legend if you could get Sark to that level of angry. Yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, I, 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 I this year I, I plan on spending a decent amount of time in Norman and, and Austin because of the obvious reasons. So I'll, I'll see if I can uh, get into it with one of them for you, just for your benefit. We appreciate that. You know, we need content. It's a three. Well, I'm going to point my career. I'm trying to lessen the the rhetoric as opposed to intensify it. You're you're trying to trying to lessen it, but at the same time, you gotta you gotta like learn these new programs even more. So, talking about Texas and Oklahoma, have their fans infiltrated the fine bomb caller universe to where they're they are now a regular staple? Yeah, I mean we're we're starting to hear from them, um, but I, I think it's 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 really about the hit because you know they're still dealing in Big Twelve basketball and baseball and all the things that. But the, but the foot, you know, we keep selling the point that the football, Oklahoma and Texas are now in the SEC in football. There's no more, uh, there's no more Big 12. That, that's, of course, a, a pandering attempt by us to increase our, our viewership before July 1st. That's true. You, you're still allowed to throw horns down then. I think you're yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, I started to go off on the basketball coach the other day. I'm a horns down, but I said it's too soon. They're still in the Big 12. Let, let the Big 12 network worry about that, wherever so, that is. Uh, it's called the Longhorn Network, basically, yeah. as you guys know. Uh, it's funny, though. Everybody's talking about this new world of college football and how it's going to benefit media because it's going to keep all these fan bases engaged, which I admit, like, it's good for us. But, Paul, part of the reason why your show is so ingrained in college football culture is because of those Monday overreactions, the, the one loss, season's over, sky is falling. Have you thought about how different that is going to be and if you get more subdued fans who are like, ah, you know what, we lost this rivalry game, but no big deal. Maybe we'll see him again in the playoff. Yeah, I'm a little worried for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's no more Jimbo Fisher. Uh, I mean, Jimbo Fisher uh, was a uh, was a was a, a viewership draw. No matter what you said about Jimbo, it it it, it got traction. Saban didn't matter. 
what, what you said. So I, I am I am a, I am officially concerned about my own life and future and, and well-being uh, because everything is a little bit uh, copacetic right now. But it's still as we're talking here in, in late January, there, there's so many things that can change. And, you know, obviously the story that we've obsessed over the, the, the last week or two is, is Alabama. But, but I think that's an intriguing story because what, I, what I've learned in, in the week uh in the week and a half since uh, Kaylin DeBoer has arrived, is that there seems to be genuine glee everywhere else. Um, everyone said the right things about Coach DeBoer, including myself, but but I detect uh, uh, a spring in the step of Georgia fans and LSU fans and Ole Miss fans and Texas and Oklahoma, and pretty much everyone but Florida fans. I haven't really heard much from them lately. They got their own issues yeah. to worry about right now, but like, I, I mean, for, for those that are already assuming that the, the worst is going to happen, like I, I'm a Bears fan. I, I'm dealing with this right now with the Packers and having to root against them getting to an NFC championship and like being like, oh, I need the 49ers to pull this out late just so that I can sleep a little bit easier, knowing full well, like Jordan Love is about to become the next great Packers quarterback, and I'm about to be miserable again for a long time. Like Kalen DeBoer has that year one where all of a sudden it's like, oh, Bama's competing for a national championship. They make it that far. Everybody's just going to roll their eyes and go, well, this sucks. And this isn't exactly what we signed up for. So, like, that possibility still exists, too. Yeah, I mean, the other day, watching uh, Downs in the portal and saying in the portal, uh, other Isaiah, I mean, it was it was really a, a veritable meltdown. But one thing I've learned covering Alabama football my entire adult life is that they are somewhat indestructible. Uh, I mean, I have, I have sat and watched – some of the biggest clowns in, in college football history win 10 games at Alabama. In, in 1999, I watched a guy named Mike Dubose beat Steve Spurrier twice uh, and win the SEC championship after he should have been fired in August of that year after it came out that he was having a relationship with his uh, secretary. So I'll never, I'll never count Alabama out again. They, they, you put them on probation, you almost give them – and they come back with uh, – Dennis Franchoni, who wins 10 games. Then you bring in Mike Price. Well, let's skip that story. Yeah. But you, Mike Shula comes in, uh, a guy that clearly was inept. He won 10 games in 2005. So, I mean, it is not Alabama is that no matter what you do to them, they bounce back up. It's amazing. They are, uh, I don't, don't want to say they're college football Voldemort, but they, they've definitely got some vibes that just make yeah. you feel like this is this is so never laugh all you want at, at, at what's happening out there. But, uh, you know, you can you can look up the word schadenfreude as, and learn how to spell it and correct and correctly pronounce the German uh, description and pronunciation. But uh, enjoy enjoy the moment. But there'll be a day when here comes Alabama one more time, because and one thing about Alabama fans, they are never down. They either talk about the past or the future, even when things are burning in right in front of them. There, there is definitely that element. As much as everybody associates it with, oh my gosh, this is the worst. We're freaking out over a, a regular season loss. They do always kind of spin it in a way that is still favorable. And they will find a way to probably, I mean, even though there will be that panic when that first loss sets in there still will probably be a light at the end of the tunnel for them. That's a good point. Not every fan base deals with that. I think Nebraska does a great job at that too. And there are others in college football. Ohio state is not one of those fan bases, but Alabama can always find a way to make it feel like, Oh no, this is just part of the plan. 
Well, it, it's, I mean, I, again, I'll spare you all my Bear Bryant stories. You can just watch one of those essays that, that will run in the middle of the night on the SEC network. But they've had, I mean, that this started in 1958. Uh, and, and by the way, Alabama was good before that. I mean, they went to the Rose Bowl in 25 and 30, whatever. Um, this is a, a program that has that has sustained time. I mean, although I, I, w- I once covered as a sports writer uh, a period between 1979 uh, and uh, 2009 when there was only one national championship. Uh, and that night in Miami in 1992 was like the greatest night of all of our lives until they started happening every 2.6 years. Yeah, uh, things change a little bit. Perspective uh, shifts when you when you endure the the Saban era. Uh, last one for you: Who's the new Mister Saturday Night in college football? Uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, my last night. Yeah, um, uh, I heard that song the other day. I'm, I might. Uh, I might go with Sark. I, I am really high on him. Um, I, I think he is, uh, you know, probably made one of the most dramatic turnarounds uh, from from where he was to where I think he is. And I think the fact that, you know, remember Kentucky, you know, I mean, we, we were shocked nine months ago when Texas was the pick to win the Big 12. I mean, you know, you know, they had to be it, but there was that, well, they can't be it. But and I mean, I thought I think it was probably better they didn't uh, play for the title this year. They were, I mean, they they left their fans wanting for. But I I I really like him a lot, even more than Kirby for Mister Saturday Night. George fans are going to push back on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Kirby to me is 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 in a different league. Um, I was trying to come up with uh, a less obvious, um, but uh, <laughs> I think Kirby has now taken the Saban mantle. So uh, I'm not going to. You know, put, uh, I'm not going to apply songs from country singers to him. I'm going to apply more, uh, you know, something more, you know, Greek mythology. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the real. So you know, when you when you start you know, doing the well, who's the best coach in college football, we know. I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, but who's who's next? Uh, and, and who's in that conversation? I, I think Sark's in that conversation. I think Lane's in that conversation. We're talking about SEC coaches. Uh, Brian Kelly, definitely. But I, I'm, re- I'm really intrigued by Brian Kelly, too. Uh, Kirby's got the other six days of the week. Yeah. Um, I, I just uh, I didn't I don't know what Kirby does on Saturday night, do you? It's, uh, eats Waffle House and, you know, recruits, I assume. That's probably a Saturday night for, for Kirby because George doesn't get those Saturday night home games, as their fans will, will gladly right. tell you. Um, oh, last last one for you. I got a hundred dollar Lululemon gift card. I have never purchased anything from Lululemon. I know you are a big, big time supporter of theirs. How should I spend my money wisely? I am uh, really big on their their just uh, casual shirts. I use them on my Friday uh, show this year. Um, I finally got rid of the tie on Friday, and uh, I thought it was kind of silly a tie and sitting there on a, in Starkville. Um, so. Uh, my uh, my wife goes there, so I, I went with her once. I mean, I was bored out of my mind, and I started just thumbing through the uh, men's section. So now I probably own about six or seven of, of them, and uh, I've got some uh, workout shirts from Lulu. It's a really cool store. Have you been in one? I have, and I thought to myself, why don't I shop here? Well, I'm not usually in that tax bracket, so that's probably a different discussion. But it is expensive, but but it's not it's not like. Uh, Bergdorf Goodman expensive on Fifth Avenue. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, if you go right now, they got the Christmas. I, I went. I went like right before Christmas, and I mean, it's true insanity. 
how busy the stores are. But I just kind of, I, I just go in there and walk around going, do you know me? <laughs> if I was nobody an employee. Ever, nobody ever knows me at Lululemon. That's probably for the best. It's your escape. Lululemon is where you go to just be quiet and just, you know, not, not have to talk about college. Thing about this, I, I had a, uh, I had a Lululemon shirt on and like a little t-shirt and Joe Tessitore was on our set and he started doing this, like, what is going on there? And, and, you know, in, in his Shakespearean voice. And uh, so I, I finally, that was the first time I admitted I'm a Lululemon guy. You've admitted it to me though. I, I've known yeah, this for, for the, the funniest thing was I, I uh, at, 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 at me at Destin one year, I had uh, uh, Laura goes, didn't I see that shirt yesterday? I said, I never wear a Lulu two days in a row. And uh, you can't, I mean, but it, it's kind of a thing. I mean, I don't have, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I don't, I don't get around much. So if everyone, every couple of months I drop by Lulu, my wife actually picks up most of the shirts for me. I, I'm not much of a shopper. Well, yeah. I mean, now you should be though, go in there and just, you know, talk about things that aren't college football and have people approach you and just talk about athleisure wear. you need to bring athleisure wear to the fine bomb set. Like if, I, if you could do that, I, I, that'd be great. I went through a, a spell a couple weeks ago, right before Christmas. I went three days, uh, right, right before the uh, Rose Bowl, I went three, three straight days without a tie, five straight days without a tie. And it was fun. Even in uh, Pasadena on Saturday and Sunday, I didn't wear a winter. I, I finally got some looks from Tebow. Like, I'm like, you're looking at me. I've never, I, I don't think I've seen you in a tie since your wedding. Um, but, uh, <laughs> It, it was it was it was somewhat liberating to uh, kind of dress down a little bit. As you, of course, are currently wearing a tie for this interview. Uh, just well, well, yeah, I just figured for Saturday down south, I wanted to show proper respect. <sighs> always, always the best, Paul. It's been great. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll do this again. So we won't wait as long next time. We'll uh, we'll, we'll get this lined up uh, in the very near future. I'll have my uh, my person at Lulu uh, contact you and see if we can uh, spruce you up a little bit. I, I need a, a makeover. I need an athleisure makeover. Just yeah, send me send me in the right direction. I need. I also, have my makeup person talk to you. Oh God, that's. You're you're not kidding. Like I'm getting the bags under the eyes, like the 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 new parent thing. It's it's rough. No, I, we're, we're working through it. I I, I argue that. I, and by the way, I mean we have makeup people, but the, the makeup I wear would rival uh, Taylor Swift's makeup. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. <laughs> On that fine note, Paul, appreciate it. We'll do it again soon. You got it. Thank you, Connor. Will Jersey contest. It is your turn this week. When I saw this, I gasped. Please, please show the people the jersey that you were rocking today. All right, man. We've got a throwback rainbow Denver Nuggets Dikembe Mutombo, 55. It's a sleeved basketball jersey, which normally I would not um, go with. But I think for this specific jersey, it actually makes it way better. Uh, as we've talked about, that's a hard line as a kind of aging or a guy that's getting out of his youth is not having the guns out, you know, in public. Don't want to be Pat McAfee, you know inside conspiracy theories or anything. I don't know we're pro sleeve. We're part of the working populace, right? So I think that you could wear this, you know, two events and not look like a frat bro. So yeah, I think uh, this is an all time. Uh, this is one of my favorite jerseys ever. It's got the skyline in there. It's got the rainbow. It's got, you know, mountains. So I, I think that we've started to go back to that classical layer of design, like where we found out the older stuff is kind of better. This style of design will be timeless forever. I, I love it. I think the Nuggets have the biggest ever drop off of uniform to uniform, what they went through in the 90s, going from the rainbow mountain skyline look mm -hmm. to whatever sort of brown and navy mess they mm -hmm. came up with afterwards. Or wait, maybe 
Yeah, yeah, that was because that was Mutombo when he beat the, when they beat the Sonics first round of the NBA playoffs. He's not rocking the rainbow. He's rocking mm-hmm. the 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 navy and brown, just awful, awful uniform. Why why they pivoted away from from the logo that you are rocking is beyond me. I do not understand that at all. That is the best. I am such a fan of that logo that, as I told you before we came on, mm-hmm. I had a moment two years ago. Where, you know, you get like Amazon money kicked you here, there, whatever it was. And uh, I was one click away from buying a rainbow blue, the royal blue one, Dikembe Mutombo jersey. And I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I got so close. I think I ended up buying something more practical, like some, I don't know, like I I needed like a a different pair of... uh, what's the, the adidas shoes that i have that are like kind of like athleisure shoes that you can yeah. wear they're not like cross training i don't wear them to like work out or anything like that but they're, they're nice they're comfortable i can slip them on i've had them for three years and i've gotten great use out of them they were probably the more practical adult purchase to make but i said that day there's going to be a moment when i look back and i say connor you have a kid now you should have bought that Takembe Matembo jersey two years ago when you could mm-hmm. have justified it. And instead, I didn't. And here you are today, wearing a Dikembe Mutombo jersey that could very well win this contest. It very well could. And yes. I could not be more jealous of you. Well, listen, Connor, you have a wife and new child, and I have a sleeve Dikembe Mutombo jersey. So when you think about it like that, in terms of our choices that we made the last couple of years, I do think you still have BB. I will say this, though. I'm glad you brought up those horrible jerseys because I forgot about those. Because obviously the 15 Mellow jersey was the most likely jersey to be in a music video in the in the 2000s. That is a classic jersey. That, but between the two, there is a, a blue jersey that has a gradient, uh, like a like a little bit of a um, like the the sides are faded on it. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. I have completely deleted. I think that's like almost like the um, Abdul Raouf like era. Um, yep. Like, yeah. Antonio like, McDice. Yeah. Yep. And they were fine teams. Yeah, but they were just these are ugly, ugly jerseys. So to go from like some of the best jerseys ever to some of the more famous jerseys ever, even the ones now are great. That is a big miss. I'm glad you brought up those other ones. Bryant Stiff. Yeah. Robert Pack. Did he play for them? I don't know. I'm just getting into my my 90s NBA bag, just as one Talking does. Talking about some dudes. But yeah, pre- appreciate Guys. you, man. This has been, yeah. You you did, like I said, you did the classic Midwestern move of like, oh, I don't got all shucks. I don't got much. And then boom, hit after hit. So I got to gotta keep you on your toes. We're still holding back now. The, the game has been risen with Dikembe Mutombo. Um, I am fully on board with that. Dang, that's a good. That's a good choice, man. I think you got the two leaders in the clubhouse right now with that and the Bobby Boucher, like that. Those are two jerseys that look. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a stealer of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. If I were, and if you just saw one day, you're like, oh, Connor's wearing a Bobby Boucher jersey. Connor's wearing a Dikembe Mutombo jersey. You'd know. Yep. You'd know. Yeah, well, and sense. I'll say this too, when it comes to jerseys, you know, body type does factor in. I think I love a big man jersey. I love a Shaquille O'Neal jersey, you know, Cam Jordan. I might even get a Jason Kelsey jersey. That's a good classic big boy jersey. You know, so having a center, I think, on a, on a bigger frame is great. Because, you know, if I had like a Muggsy Bogues jersey, you know what I'm saying? That wouldn't look great on me. The the Matumbo jersey gives you the right to just finger wag at anybody. No, sir. No, sir. Uh, anything that comes your way. Like you get a sandwich that you don't like, you can finger wag. That mm-hmm. that is that that is just part of the jersey that you get. You pay for the finger wag as well. Mm-hmm. Which, gosh, I should have thought of that two years ago, man. Mistakes, mistakes. All right, 
Let's do some lad of the week. I think there are three obvious choices for lad of the week this cash okay. week. And I'm curious if we pick two, would you like to start? No, you can go ahead. I have the Jersey. All right. The obvious one, number one choice besides, well, okay. I shouldn't say it's the number one choice. It's maybe the one, a choice. Zivanimir Ivasic. That's right. Crush the pronunciation. I think I just tried to embody Tom Leach, uh, Kentucky play by play voice. Uh, good go. dude. The man they call Big Z, which for me as a Cubs fan, I always knew to be Carlos Zambrano, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. the guy that I saw one time chuck a baseball into the outfield after getting tossed. And that wasn't even the most noteworthy thing he did after getting tossed. He just went ham on a water cooler. It was mm-hmm. incredible. Fun game to be at. Two of my buddies got kicked out of that. Shout out to the Wrigley Bleachers. Um, okay. Yeah. Big Z. Big Z. I admittedly also, was shout out to Zajunas Zelagowskis, another big Z. Another big Z. People forget. Yes. Um, it's been a big Cleveland episode uh, on the Saturday Night South podcast for sure. Mm-hmm. I was not watching the 7 2 Croatian in his debut, but even if you just watch the clips and you could you see the electricity that he brought to Rupp on Saturday, just absolutely unreal. Finally ruled eligible by the NCAA, gets in off the bench. And expectations are low. And, man, he was electric. Blocked one at the rim. Starts making threes. He's going behind the back on this pass. Like, Kentucky's bench lost its mind after Mm -hmm. that play. And it's not easy to send Rupp into a frenzy, right? Like, think of the, the amount of moments in which that place has truly just gone bonkers because when you've seen as much, you know, good basketball and it's like, all right, it's, it's regular season hoops. Like how much is really going to get you riled up? But man, he was incredible. Mike Morgan was awesome. on The TV calls. I mentioned Tom Leach on the radio was incredible as well. Just shades of a certain seven foot NBA MVP that plays positionless basketball that you love very, very much. Another um, one of my boys. Yep. Yeah, just about as loud of a 13-point night as one can have for Zvonimir Ivasich. Crushed it. There you go, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's fire. And, and yeah, to your point, it's like there are certain players that like capture your heart kind of despite, despite whatever. Like um, Boban was one of those guys. Um, and, you know, when, when you're kind of like a high-energy guy, when you get the boys going, when you bring that energy, I think it's a great candidate for a lot of the week. Because, again, it's not, you know – the guy who's necessarily the star, but it's the guy that brings it. It's the guy that gets the boys going. I think he's definitely that. I think I know who you're going to pick. Can I guess? Okay, go for it. You're either picking the ninth year senior from Miami or Mm -hmm. Jason Kelsey. (laughs) You are inside my brain. Uh, Those those are who it's down to. Yep. So (laughs) I've already talked about Jason Kelsey. Actually, that's why I talked about him because he was the He's in the run of yes, that's another shout out to him at to being just shirtless, living a thick king dream, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl participant, hanging out with Taylor Swift, watching his brother also also Super Bowl champion, super cool. But yeah, that bylad of the week is Miami tight end Cam McCormick, who has an incredible uh, kind of breakdown to how he ended up at uh, nine years. So what this reminds me of, I'm sure that uh, you had you know maybe. Uh, a baseball parent, I don't know if it was your dad, but I had a parent that would tell me, hey, you know, when you start something, you got to finish it, <laughs> right? Well, um, this is pretty much the most uh, advanced example of this for Miami tight end Cam McCormick, who I want to be clear, spent seven seasons at Oregon. 
It's a long time in Oregon, just in general for a human being. I, and look, I, I'm not going to hate on Oregon. I know people that that live, that live there currently. I didn't have the best experience in Portland. I realize Portland is not Eugene, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to hold that against anybody that wants to sign up for 50 degrees and rainy all the time. It's beautiful, I'm sure, but seven years in Portland is a long time. Yes. And so this is just a testament to being a lad because this guy is so clearly just one of the boys. I mean, if you look at all the way down his eight years so far career, right? And all of them don't count as years because he has several medical registers. He's had six surgeries, right? Sticking with it. Total stats, okay? 26 receptions for 231 yards total, right? So this is like a couple of Eric Gilbert games. Like two games of like Brock Bowers would get you to about this guy's production over eight years. And yet he is remaining with football. Now, does he have a future in coaching? You know, whatever it may be. Um, a story, this is why I talk about the uh the the way it was kind of presented. They're saying he's believed to be, he's 25 years old. Like when we joke about Stetson Bennett's 25, this guy's actually closer in age to me significantly so than a college freshman. Even, you know, you have, again, wife and kid, home, family, closer in age to you than a college freshman. You know what I'm saying? And so point no, being this- No, not quite, not quite. I'm 33, about to be 34. Yeah, no, no, he's closer to college freshman because college freshmen are 18. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, they could be 17 if they're late release. I'm just saying he's right in the middle of that journey in life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so point being, like they said, we're, we think, this is how CBS News said, he is believed to be the first player with a night season. They said, East Tennessee ha- said former linebacker Jared Folks was the first eight-year player. And he he was at Tennessee State for uh, what's called the Bucks. He was there pretty much the whole time. And so point being, this guy is a, a, um, a record setter. But the thing that's interesting about that is that, like I said, he's not like a star or a game changer. He just loves being with the boys. He loves being in the locker room. You know what I'm saying? He loves being part of a team. And I think that's super cool, you know, wherever his life may take him. And of course, this affords us the possibility to talk about one of our favorite tunes. He loves college more than Asher Roth. He is going on year nine. He could have got a doctorate. The state is paying his bill because he's been on scholarship. Freshman, freshman. That's our boy McCormick right there in the back of the party, slightly balding, aware of his credit score, having the night of his life for the ninth year. What do you think he talks about with guys in the locker room? I mean, that there is a generational gap. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is truly a generational gap. Like that that divide is significant. When you are when you get into the workplace in your twenties and you're in your early twenties and you're kind of yep. like looking around, and you're like, oh, everybody feels like they're kind of my age. No, no, no. Once you hit a certain point of like 27, 28, and then you kind of look back at the the 22-year-olds yep. that are first job, something like that, you're like, we're speaking a different language. We are yep. very, very different people. And look, I'll, I'll admit that I, I, I have skepticism about his overall football abilities if he has been around this long and as you said accumulated those stats maybe he's more of a blocking tight end can't say that i've broken down the film just yet of cam mccormick but you know what the fact that he is still plugging away this long credit to him oh and i definitely said um seven years in portland's a long time seven years in eugene eugene portland two very different places i've seen air i saw the movie it was really good Um, i know that eugene is is a different place but yeah this is a, a world in which very few people get to live in and being a ninth year senior and ni- not even ninth year senior. You don't even say senior anymore. You just say ninth, ninth year, year player <laughs> doing anything for nine years is really, really hard. 
And I've been doing this job now for nine years. Yes. So I'm, I'm the perfect person. I can't imagine thinking about when I started. <laughs> That's a good perspective because that feels like forever. Goodness, dude. Oh, that is that is absolutely crazy. And time goes a lot slower, too, I think, at that age. Time yep. goes faster now. That is a proven fact. Man. Yeah. Okay. I'm in your brain. I knew it. Yeah. And I will say this to your point about, you know, 25 is, I think, where you start pulling out of the I'm smarter than you phase. Because if you talk to people in the workplace that are 22 to 24, they think they already, they could be CEO next week if someone just gave them a shot. 25 is where you really start to be like, yeah, I'm really not that smart. So it's funny that that guy has gone through his entire, like, early career process in a locker room. But here's the good news for him. He's appeared in 13 games in two straight seasons. So that means they're they're playing him. You know what I'm saying? He's getting out there. He's getting the most burn, the most usage. He's on pace to be, you know, if he gets more than 89 yards this season, it would be his best season. So honestly, if you're going to do that, earn the coach's trust, might as well come back for another year. And like, I mean, yeah, it is the final year in Oregon and he had three touchdowns. You know what I'm saying? So maybe he does get a little bit of that block and maybe he does get a lot more burn and he has, you know, more than 26 consecutive games to end his career. It would be pretty crazy. Have to play your best football at the end of your career. Like that's pretty wild. Watch him get drafted. Yeah. <laughs> Look at his draft film and he's like, wait a minute, what? This guy's just breakout season. He's like 600 receiving yards. He's like, <laughs> It took him until year nine, but you know what? Once he did, he he really figured things out. He was yeah. uh, he was a sight to see. Probably more of a blocking tight end, though. If I if I had to guess, I got to do the, the PFF snap breakdown. But uh, yes, someone that uh, look if he does anything of relevance, he's going to be lad of the week again. I'm just warning yeah. people right now. Get ready for it. Leave us a five star view if you have not. I promise I will actually look at the five star views, not the one star views. <laughs> Esther <laughs> kind of was like, I don't read these. Just write, write some good ones. And hey, don't call us carpetbaggers because this time we were fair and objective. It took us two years to talk about Ohio State. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at the STS Pod, at Set Down South, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.